Hello and welcome to another episode of the Sonic Cloth. Y'all are in for a treat today because I've hounded another person to come on the podcast to tackle another one of these musical rabbit holes with me. I've got Mr. Tom Wasluck on the show. Tom, how you doing? Good. How you doing today? Pretty cold still. <laughs> yeah. Did I get your Did I get your last name right on the pronunciation? I was gonna say you're like one of the only people I've ever who've gotten it. What What are the uh, offending uh, pronunciations usually? Wasluck. <laughs> yeah, like a Wasluck stuff like that, but it's not. Or like or spellings people just get really really wrong too, but. Does anyone ever ever say thumb? Has that ever happened? Oh yeah, the guys I work with all the time give me shit about that. They call me Thom, and I'm like, my name's Thomas. It's not Thomas. I guess if you've never seen the T H O M, like you could, I guess, make that mistake. But it's like, and most of the time, <laughs> like, use your better judgment. Give me shit now. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, thanks so much for coming on the show. I appreciate your time today. Like, yeah, appreciate thanks you for taking me. T- taking a little time out of your Saturday for this. Um. Today we're going to be talking about about the '90s. More specifically, we're kind of ta- we tasked each other with picking like four, I guess, gems of '90s rock that you know I presume like it's stuff we still revisit today. Uh, maybe they're bands that we didn't think like got enough attention at the time. Maybe it's stuff that we like think influenced a lot of music that came on like in later decades in the in the 2000s and whatnot. Um, I mean, we'll get into like all of that. In the track list portion of the episode, but um, I thought it'd be good to like introduce you, get to know you a little more. People out there might know Tom from uh, his primary uh, musical project, Planning for Burial. Maybe you know Tom from uh, being the poster boy of the Flenser. I don't know <laughs> if that's an official title, but uh, that's what I've taken from it. <laughs> I think it's pretty accurate. Your picture is on, I'm pretty sure, every single Flenser email that comes through. Oh, it's getting to the point now where, like, I do a little photo shoots for it. My, my my girlfriend's all in on it too. Like, we did a fall one. We did a we did the the uh, we did a summer, a fall, and a winter one. And now we have to work on something for the spring. But it's still pretty cold here, in Pennsylvania. So it's not really fully spring yet. <laughs> yeah, you got to do like a winter calendar for us or something. Oh, <laughs> uh, I. He's going to hear this, and he's just gonna, I'm going to start getting texts, and Jonathan's going to be like, we should do a calendar. <laughs> this is like, yeah, this is probably like the, the fourth or fifth, like, reference to the Flenser, like, on this podcast in particular, even when, like, we're not, the episode's, like, not even talking about the Flenser, so it's just always top of mind, the Flenser, for some reason. You might also know Tom from uh, his Twitter account. I noticed you, like, go to bat for, for a lot of bands that that maybe <laughs> a lot of people wouldn't i'm trying to think of what bands you're, you're seeing me go to bat for like uh i think of stuff like uh afi and glass jaw and the faint and li- look i i like all these bands i these oh, are yeah, this, yeah, this yeah. was like my listening habits of like the early 2000s totally exactly i i think i just some people grow out of stuff like that but i i don't i just i don't feel like i went and faded i just kept adding <laughs> Like, if these were bands I listened to, I just kept listening to new bands and kept listening to those bands at the same time. Uh, my, my buddy Steve is an AFI mega fan. <laughs> and I, I think that's where I get a lot. I start going to bat for them a lot sometimes, too. <laughs> but do you drop off? 
do you drop off oh. at some point with AFI? I feel oh, like you I have dropped to. Off, I dropped off real early, like 2003. Like, Sing the Sorrow is like one of the best albums ever. I never went forward after it. And he'll play me stuff all the time. And I'm like, oh, this is great. But I'm just like, eh, whatever. I don't, I don't need to get it. But he was playing me a single from their new record. And I said, oh, I think I might buy this one. Like a return to form or something? Yeah, I guess. And AFI is one of those like epic drop-off bands because you had people who dropped off like after the punk shit where they just sounded like the misfits right yeah and then you had people like and then they get into like kind of like a more hardcore goth kind of thing and that's where i i was there for that stuff i like that a lot that's the best shit i think like um black sails and art of drowning that's that's where it's at for me and like i and like i said they have a lot of really good stuff but i just i don't know i just do that sometimes where it happens it's funny that like in the 2000s just a lot of people like kind of think back to what they were listening to in the early 2000s and they're like i'm so embarrassed to have liked any of that shit but i think people do that way less with the 90s yeah maybe or maybe it's you're about my age so maybe we're we were all young kids then and i don't know i i think people still stick to what they were young but like that those years when you're a teenager early 20s it becomes like Oh yeah, maybe yeah. Maybe that's why people aren't so embarrassed of things they liked in the '90s. I feel like the most solid like musical recommendations I get are are generally like listening to conversations with artists that I dig, um, and 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 kind of what they talk about and what they're into, and and that's why I really like to do these kinds of episodes where I respect an artist, I really like their music, and I, maybe I hear something in their music, so I like. I'll, I'll propose like, hey, do you want to talk about like this thing you might be into? I mean, it could have it totally wrong too. And uh, it's kind of instead of talking about like their their music, just because it's probably like a break from like talking about your own shit, I would imagine. Yeah, it's, it's nice just to talk about, be, or not even talk about, but be a geek about music. Because it's like how I centered almost my whole life around it almost. Yeah, everyone starts off as a fan, right? Like yep. that's 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 the origin. And like, if I guess if at any point as an artist, like that stops, you stop being a fan. I don't I don't know what like the effects of that might be, but they can't poss- they can't really be good, you know? Yeah. Oh, definitely. There was there was maybe a moment in my life a few years ago where I was like, I just felt like I didn't want to listen to anything or didn't know. But then I'd go to a show and see a band, just like my mind would melt. I'm like, okay, I still got it. I still I'm still all about this. So yeah. Yeah, that that like never that kind of never stops happening. I mean, you might get into like a drought where that hasn't happened in a while, but like there's there's always that's always like on the bend as long as you put yourself out there. I think. Right, and that first drought had me a little scared for a minute because I was like, it was like I was about thirty three, <laughs> and I remember reading an article maybe a few years prior to that, and was like, oh yeah, around thirty three, the brain stops working for finding new music, and then when that year I was having a drought where even like old things I liked, I wasn't like really like listening to much i would just put shuffle on and just listen to songs and whatever mm-hmm. i got i got scared there for a minute and then i was like okay cool yeah or there's the thing people say where like you just end up liking the same like four or five bands you like originally started off listening to and like you'd never stray from that it's like why every old dad just listens to like the stones and zeppelin yeah i have a few friends that are kind of like that it's very like conservative like approach to music. Yeah, they they definitely peaked in like 2007 or something and then 
Maybe once in a while they hear a band that they like, but that band sounds like a band from exactly that time period. Yeah. It's like, man, nobody does it better than Zeppelin, but you know, <laughs> these guys come pretty close, so I'll give them a try. Exactly. So, like, Tom, what were you up to in the 90s? Like, were you were you playing music yourself, or were you just kind of taking in music? And also, like, just in general, what, what was, like, big for you back then? I mean, so I was... I was born in 1984, so I was 10 years old in the early 90s. I I had older sisters that were always into music, so that's kind of where I started always listening to things. I think about eight, when I was probably about between eight or nine is when I really started buying cassettes and like just loving being at the record store and getting stuff and cassettes. Mid-90s, yeah, exactly. I was, whatever was big on the radio was kind of, and MTV was what I was really, really into. Um, I got my first guitar in 96 and started writing and recording stuff myself while my and my friends also tried to form bands that 12 and 13 year olds do where you don't really know anything. And uh, I started playing shows out live in probably about 98 though. Like two years later we were in bands that were playing out. So That's a pretty quick trajectory from like fan to I'm going to do the shit myself. Yeah, you know what it started where I decided I wanted to play it. It was like I was a fan, always buying records and cassettes and stuff. And we got our first computer system, and there was like a di- like a you know CD-ROMs back then, but it was just a list of all different musical instruments. And I would just sit and stare at that thing for hours, going through and learning everything I can. And then I got my first guitar, and my parents thought I was just gonna you know just quit it after a while. And it's no, <laughs> it, it became my life almost. Yeah, no doubt. I think I see behind you. Is that the uh, aeroplane Smash of Pumpkins box? It is. Yeah. Okay. Yep. I always, I always, always wanted one of those, but I, I recognize it. It's like in a little kind of pale kind of thing, right? I think yep. my buddy had one. I got it, at, and what's funny is I got it. Probably that came out in about '96. I want to say, I got it maybe in 2000. It, it was at the record store. Nobody wanted it. It was super cheap. I think it was only like 20 bucks, so I just grabbed it. And that now it's a relic expensive. now. Yeah, exactly. That's the one where it's where it's all the singles from Melancholy and with a bunch of B-sides attached, right? Yeah, exactly. But it's got um it's got the aeroplane. I forget the full title and that's like that's one of their best the, jams. The aeroplane that's... flies high, turns left, looks right or something. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's long. <laughs> Super long title, but that's uh that's that's one of Billy's heaviest ones. Yeah, uh, I, I could easily say because of 94, 95 being like the years I really got into music, Melancholy Infinite Sadness was probably like the biggest record for me. And to this day, I still consider it my favorite record of all time. That was the formative one for me too. Did you did you hear Siamese Dream before Melancholy? I did actually because my, my sister who's two and a half, three years older than me, she was really into it. And and again, they were always playing those songs on uh, on NPV. And I liked it, but I don't feel like that connected with me the way Melancholy did. Yeah, same here. I mean, I just remember being in middle school, riding the bus, and having the actual CD in my hand. Like, I would put the CD in my backpack with my Walkman. There's very few albums that are, like, when I think back to them, I can think so vividly about, like, actually looking through the lyrics, like, flipping them, looking at all the artwork, all the, like, weird animals, the babies watching a bunnies play a baseball game like it's it's just the most vivid like uh sort of like pure nostalgia for me that album so it's like it'll always be really special despite i think it's like i think there's some throwaways on it but like 
I don't know. I never like focus too much on that. Like it's that's it's, that's the thing too. So Even great. when I, I see lots of people trying to like talk shit on it now, years later, because obviously Billy Corgan's kind of fucking a shithead now. But yeah. So you know, trying to diminish what it was, and everyone's like, "Yeah, there's throwaways." But in my head, I'm even thinking, "Like, well, what are the truly throwaways?" Because in my head, even the stuff that might be thrown away, I'm like, "I can't imagine a record without them." Yeah, yeah. I, I remember when I was when I was younger, like thinking the first like nine tracks on both CDs were like perfection, and then it just drops off after that, which is incorrect. Um, I I just kind of got that into my mind, and so I would just stop like each album after like track nine or track 10 and not bother with the others. But you go, I mean, a I couple of their right. best songs on the albums are, are, are past that. I think I, I had it on cassette first and then CD. So the same thing, it was like the, both a sides of the tape were where it was at. And then some things when it got on the B side, maybe the first two songs on the B sides were really good. And I, I did the same thing, but as years went on, I'm like, man, some of those like later tracks on each of the, the sides are like amazing yeah well that's that's great that's cool that that was our, our we have the same basic musical love like i was born in 83 so we're coming up like right around the same time yeah probably experiencing the same thing seeing the tonight tonight music video on mtv um, that the uh, bolt with butterfly wings was a big one yeah i don't remember i, I don't remember the zero video as much but that song was what everybody in school loved they loved that song just so it's kind of weird because it's like a really heavy song like right exactly but that that was the 90s i mean it seemed like there was a little more harder rock in the mainstream so like when you're that age of a kid it seemed kind of normal i mean i remember like girls in middle school wearing white zombie shirts and i'm like oh that's fucking sick you know what i mean it was just like exactly just like people were into that kind of stuff they totally were, and a lot of that stuff, White Zombies, Smash Your Pumpkins, like, when you start really honing in on, like, what their influences were, I think you start to get a little closer to some of the stuff that we're going to feature today. Not directly, but, like, a couple, going a couple layers back, like, oh, what, this band influenced the Smash Pumpkins, and then this band might have influenced them. Right. But, like, it's funny, because of all the stuff that we're featuring today on our track list, like, I had no idea this stuff that stuff existed like at the time. That this none of this is shit I was listening to in the nineties at all. Good. I'm glad I, you brought that up because I wanted <laughs> to say it too. I'm like, none of this shit is stuff I was listening to in the nineties. I didn't get into this till the two thousand some point. But I could see their impact now. I think if we were a little older, like five, six years older and kind of involved in some kind of like underground scene, we probably would have some like tangible experience with these bands, you know? Yeah, but, there, there's there's a guy I work with right now. He's I want to say he's like three or four years older than me, and he was going to like shows in the same hardcore scene I was. But he was pretty much checking out of that as I was coming into it. And same thing, yeah. You hear things to him like, "Oh yeah, you were actually into this stuff," or that was that was your version of this. It was like before the time. Like it was just like layers. Like as, uh -huh. I don't know how I'm trying to say here, but yeah. Yeah. So like, uh, yeah, I don't think, I mean, I don't, yeah, I didn't get into any of this shit or even stuff like bigger than this stuff, like Dinosaur Jr. or like Unwound, like those types of bands or Slint even. I never got into that stuff until like the 2000s. I got in, yeah, I was going to say Unwound hit me in like 2003. And but again, that, they were already pretty much checked out by then. They, they already yep. did their, you know, their big shit. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I think like we're really only like '90s kids in the sense of like bands like Smashing Pumpkins or I don't know. I don't know if you go like the Soundgarden, Alice in Chains kind of thing. Uh, if that was big. Soundgarden for you at the Super time. Unknown was the first album I ever bought on my own. Okay, nice. So yeah, I I, I was definitely into that stuff. Nine Inch Nails, Garbage, Marilyn Manson, all that stuff. Still holds up. Yeah, it does. It really does. And it wasn't until, like, the late 90s where I started, like, venturing into, like, more underground stuff, maybe. Mm-hmm. So it's like, do you think there's anything characteristic of the 90s that's, there's where there's some kind of thread that runs through, like, all the music? Like, just, just based on the culture and, like, uh, indie culture specifically at the time, I feel like if I, like, close my eyes and I think of, like, 90s underground rock... I always hear a band that sounds like, you know, that band Arch- Archers of Loaf? You ever listen yeah, to that? Yeah, yeah. That's like what, <laughs> when I think 90s rock, like underground rock, that's what plays in my mind. Like earnest vocal delivery and like an obsession with like guitars and pedals and like noisy parts. And it's kind of thin production, uh, like female bassists. I don't know. Like yeah. if, I, if I'm to like stereotype the 90s in a, in a way, that's that's kind of like the archetype. In my mind, but it's also a little bit of a character too. I think. Yeah, I, I was. I'm going to go one step on this. My other, my other idea when I think of the '90s is: Were you ever into the Kids in the Hall? No, the, the I never, never deep into it. Um, okay, so, well, but I know what you're mov- talking about. They had a movie called Brain Stew, and one of the characters was a dark rocker, and Bruce McCulloch plays him, and it's kind of like it looks like dancing almost. But he comes out, and he's just like a dark, tormented guy. And the music is just completely like 90, to me, like dark rock 90s. Like female bass is just boom, 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 boom. You know, and it's just like the quiet to loud. Like when the vocals come in, it's like, all right, be moody time. And all of a sudden, get heavier. And like to me, that parody there is exactly what I think sometimes about the 90s too. Yeah, yeah. There, there was definitely those qualities like like bubbling up in the in popular music. I, I do feel like the tail end of the 90s really started to like abandon like everything that was kind of considered cool in like the early 90s and the mid 90s. Um, yeah. Like the, culture, like the culture was in like a rush to like get out of the 90s and into a new decade or something. Yeah. You know what? I, I was reading something the other day about like it was an article of like Shirley Manson from Garbage Talk. They gave her you know, 10 songs sort of same thing, like, oh, pick out this blindly. And it was all like late 90s stuff. And it was like fastball and all that kind of stuff. And and it's weird to think about those bands being part of the 90s. Yes. But exactly. Exactly what you just said is where they were trying to like get out of the 90s. And I'm like, that, that era of rock is kind of dead to me a little bit. Yeah, big time. And that, that's exactly what I was going to get into next. Like, if you look at I went on to like rate your music to kind of look at like the nineties in terms of albums, like big albums. Um, so like, if you look at like late nineties rock releases, you have stuff like, okay, computer. Yeah. In the aeroplane over the sea, you have that big Godspeed album, F sharp, a infinity, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, soft bulletin, flaming lips. Like that's a, that's a pretty different musical climate than like, say the early and mid nineties stuff, which is, Big the big albums are like Loveless, the Blue Album by Weezer, Downward Spiral, Siamese Dream, like whatever REM album was big. I don't I don't know their shit, but I know that they they were big at the time. See, I like everything you just said there. I'm like very much into, but but that's when you're starting. A lot of that stuff was not in the mainstream either, you know. 
it's it's kind of weird to think about that how big in those some of those albums are but like godspeed that was early 90s and i mean mm-hmm. well radiohead was very mainstream but i guess looking back now those late 90s albums they seem like classic mainstream like oh everyone everyone knows those albums right but that, okay that yeah exactly they've achieved classic status i guess is what i mean yeah i, I guess sometimes when i'm thinking mainstream or not it's like dudes i went to high school probably listen to this for a meanwhile it's like oh no like you right now we could talk and like we could talk about godspeed right now and if i brought that up to anybody i went to high school with they're like what the fuck is that yeah 100 percent. i don't know i was just like researching all these big 90s rock albums i mean big like in quotations of course and, and i was just reminded of how diverse like the music was back then and i think we get like a tunnel vision and we just kind of pick out a few trendy things from the 90s and kind of splatter that entire paint can like all over the decade. You know, I think that that's something that we do a lot. But I was like yeah. surprised that shit like, you know, that album Laughing Stock by Talk Talk. You know that album? Oh, yeah. I was actually listening to it the other day. Yeah, that's a 90s album. And I don't yeah. know why that, that seems so it seems so weird to me because I, I think first off, like the music on that album is, is extremely timeless. Like it doesn't reflect anything. Yeah, it doesn't reflect a trend or anything that was going on at the time. Not at all. Compare that to the songs we're going for today. I think I think the stuff we pick today is like pretty damn nineties. You know, yeah. Um, certain like a, you know, not, like in basements <laughs> of the nineties. Right. You know. Yeah. Exactly. Would you say like you hear a lot of like nineties in today's kind of underground, um, or even like bigger rock stuff? I'm not sure too much on bigger rock stuff, but like the quiet loud dynamic stuff that was like mid 90s type stuff you see i feel like you're seeing a lot of that you're seeing a lot, i think a lot of these like newer like shoegazy bands they're picking up a lot where like hum was or helmet even like hell I, a couple years ago i'm not, I, I saw a band and i'm just like holy shit this is like a heavy gin blossoms and i'm sometimes <laughs> i'm not sure some of these young kids even realize it and that's cool but it's it's there again like the gin blossoms might not even be a a point of reference for that for the for those guys at all they just kind of like worked out that that that's how it sounds yeah exactly i don't yeah. know if things like that just come full circle or if you know their parents are old enough that they were playing some of that stuff you know in the house and now they're doing it or they're listening to current bands that have a distinct 90s influence and they're and just kind of and then they say hey i I really liked Hum growing up, and then you start going down a rabbit bit, what we're doing here, mm-hmm. you know, because that's what I do a lot now. I'll, I'll start listening to a band, and I love Last FM still because it'll say, hey, recommend this band. And then you start reading a little biography, and you're like, all right, start clicking links and going down. Oh, I'm going to listen to this now. Let me get on Discogs and figure this out. Oh, this person was in this. <laughs> is that like a, a really old school kind of like internet music searching? It is. Like it's still database it's or still, something? Yeah, it still works kind of now. It's it's like scrabbling. It's almost like a pre uh, pre Spotify where where it will, you know, whatever you're playing on your iTunes or music, or it'll track how many times you listen to an artist all day. But it but then it also has biographies on everybody and mm. what other bands are similar to it and stuff. And mm. in the I would say around 2005 to maybe 2012 or so, they had a really good community built into it. And that's actually how I found a lot of people I'm friends with now with through music and stuff. But I still use it because it's still there as a database. Yeah. You're right about the forums. I mean, 
it's not really something I was doing in the nineties, but in the, in the two thousands, like I was, I was uh, active in like the Radiohead, like music forum at ease for a long time. I was active in the, and you'll know us by the trail of dead forum because I, I, I heard source tags and codes in like 2001. And like, I was like, this is the best album ever made. And just like got super obsessed. Source tags and code is one of the absolute best records ever <laughs> made. I agree. Ever. I actually went back on this episode and I was like, wait, is that like a 1999 album? Because if it is, I'm definitely picking it. And I was like, nah. I, like... I had a I had a Trail of Dead hoodie that I wore almost every single day in my like last year of high school. There's only one record that band has ever put out that I'm just not into, and I I love everything they do. I dropped off. I dropped off with them. I should I should get back where, on. The where train. did you drop off? Um, I think it was after Worlds Apart. The record after Worlds Apart is the one. It is terrible. Really? The one right after Worlds Apart is the one I will not listen to, but everything else after it is amazing. Their record, uh, no, The Century of Self, huge record for me. It's weirdly proggy, and something with the keyboard sounds on it it really influenced my first record. Oh, wow. What happened to me with Worlds Apart was that I loved it to death, and then I don't know how, but I just completely soured on it. Like, I, I don't know what happened. And I don't think I feel that way anymore. And I just kind of like forgot about the band. Yeah. Um, but and I'm going to tell you, it's probably because that record came out after it and everybody shit on it. Rightfully so. And it's that uh, bad, huh? It's pretty bad. And what's funny is recently, I think they posted something asking people to rank what they, they liked records. And I saw that record on a lot of people's like in the Facebook comments. They're that record up pretty high, and I'm like, "What the fuck?" Because <laughs> anybody I know who's really like a big fan of the band does not like that record. Yeah. But everything else after it, I really, really like. Well, I even think Worlds Apart was panned like critically as well, right? I I think maybe, but I think I was just like so into it that I just yeah. didn't care what anybody yeah. said. Yeah, it didn't matter. Yeah. Well, like does. Does '90s underground rock like make it make its way into your music? You do with Planning for Burial, would you say? I would say yeah. I would, um, the loud, quiet, dynamic stuff. Um, obviously, I was huge into Nine Inch Nails, being a self-recorded person. Mm-hmm. Um, the band Garbage was very big for me. The production of their first record, because it's you know it's Butch Vig and that whole team were. So, like, the way they did melodies and stuff, I like that. But then, like, 90s stuff that I listened to later that I wasn't listening to then, like PJ Harvey, stuff like that, really kind of, like, got itself into what I'm doing, too. So you were listening, like, for production as well. You weren't just, like... Because you were making music so early on. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I was making music very crudely, but, you know, listening to how they did things, I was paying attention to that stuff. Yeah, probably big bloated recording like budgets too, right? <laughs> like oh, yeah. on stuff like garbage and I think the first Nine Inch Nails album was made like very um I think he did it DIY you... and easy. It was. Right? He he worked in a studio, I think, and then like after hours he was like doing stuff. And I think that first garbage record technically was done that way because they owned their own studio, but then after mm-hmm. that they had big budgets. And you could tell yeah. the difference kind of. Every so often, I, I tell Jonathan Flenzer, I'm like, I'm just going to 
save up a shit ton of money and I'm just going to have like Butch Vig or Flood produce a record for me. <laughs> and it's going to be the one that everyone hates the most, but I'm going to be like, oh, whatever, I love it. <laughs> it's so crazy. <laughs> yeah, that'd be so cool. A, a, a melancholy style of playing for a barrel. That would fucking rule. Some, some strings on there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> get a oh, female I, I bassist need, in there Jonathan I need another $10,000 we gotta get this string quartet <laughs> well that one was that was Flood right Flood and another guy Alan Mulder yeah Flood and mm-hmm. Alan Mulder I believe and then did Butch do Siamese Stream was he involved, involved with the band at some point Butch did Siamese Stream yes I don't think he had anything to do with Melancholy though but still yeah Yeah, the shit we're listening today is definitely more like of the Albini kind of <laughs> route yes <laughs> Like maybe not even that that clean. <laughs> yeah, I was re-listening to everything this morning, and yeah, I think you're right. I don't think it's even Albini clean. <laughs> no, no, probably not. Um, all right. Well, is there is there anything else you want to say about kind of the '90s before we get into these tracks? Like, it's it's hard to like encapsulate a decade because. It's it's it even is. weird to it's weird to just even think of things in terms of like ten year blocks anyway. That's just like a, a a really like I don't know like almost commercialized way of like seeing something. But there was definitely something that like swept through in the early mid nineties and then just kind of like faded out. Yeah, I, I the one thing I think I I was thinking about the nineties the biggest was and even you know my partner talks to me about this a lot that she's like are there any big rock stars anymore like new ones that are like truly big that everybody really knows and I was thinking like the nineties was pretty much like the last decade of that like really like huge rock stars were like the mainstream like different dyna- or uh, you know demographics of people everybody like knew who these people were and, or like these records and stuff like Nirvana. Nine Inch Nails, those records were huge across, like, the board. And I think everything's kind of, like, a little more micro scenes now. Because that stuff was the pop music. Like, there was, there well, was pop music, too, like, happening, but... Well, you're right, but I don't even think even on terms of, like, pop music now, like, I mean, you might know some of it. I mean, I'm a person who pays attention to music in general around, and you do, too, but, like, dudes I work with aren't going to know you know some certain art pop artists now whereas like old guys back then would probably still would have known who nirvana was yeah absolutely i mean you're right there's no going into the 2000s there's no like guy there's no you know woman there's i mean who is it It, like there's no one who i don't even know who comes the closest is it like the dude from queens of the stone age like (laughs) because he's like josh homie maybe maybe yeah. And I don't even think he was trying to be that or anything like that. Yeah. Um, and that's if that's like the closest we have, that's like that's nothing. You know what I mean? And then maybe Dave Grohl. Was... Dave Grohl, maybe. Yeah, but Dave Grohl was a leftover from, you know, it was just people from the you know previous decades who were still doing things. Maybe hip art, hip hop artists were the bigger people during that time. Look at Jay Z or Eminem or, but that's the only thing I could think. I could yeah. be wrong. Someone's gonna listen to this and be like this person and then we're gonna be like oh yeah shit (laughs) yeah 100 percent. that's how i feel about the 90s it just i don't know if it just felt bigger and more magical to me because of the age i was and just getting into things and now i might be a little more jaded but it was just cool like you know people i went to school with were into all kinds of same stuff a town had multiple record stores that you can go to Mm -hmm. i don't know it just it just felt different 
and that's not me being an old man being like oh the olden days but it's kind of true yeah it was super fertile like time for music i mean it was a lot of people were investing like decent chunks of their life into music when like when i go back now like like i said before the 90s like at the time i was a smashing pumpkins you know nine inch nail Soundgarden, alice in chains kid like all the way and i go back now and like mine stuff from the 90s like it was like part of a specific scene and it doesn't really have like any kind of cult status to it at all and it's just and so like, much it's and you're unreal like, Holy shit you're like how did this go so under the radar i think the closest band for me for that in the 90s right now is a band called disco inferno oh yeah and i literally just got them because i went down a rabbit hole and i just started clicking on some youtube links i was like all right so i found the cds used and yeah exactly i'm like holy shit this was crazy in the 90s like i can't believe they were doing stuff like this and there it was and then they just kind of went away and now little things you know bring them up but they don't have cult status or anything like that no no i don't think so they were they uk band right they were a uk band and that's yeah too is like mining the uk like i'm a lot of times i'm just seeing stuff that was in the u.s yeah, like how yeah. much other stuff from the UK or other countries that were huge for them that, you know, I'm starting to like try to dig into like the glass cow scene, like everybody that was around Mogwai and all that mm. stuff. That's mm-hmm. kind of where I've been digging now or like 90s UK, like all rock bands. Yeah, it's it's endless. I mean, it's it's different. Min- like, I just feel like mining the 90s is different from mining the 80s or the 70s. It's it just way more material to like go through in the 90s. I think I think in the '90s there was a lot more smaller labels that came out and wanted to do their own things. And I mean, we were talking about micro scenes. I mean, there kind of was micro scenes in the '90s too. But like you said, like the '80s, '70s, there are underground stuff there that you can still mine and find. But it's not like on the scale it was in the '90s that started. Yeah, and it was. I think what you're right. Like it was very regional in the U.S. Like you, every region of the U.S. kind of had like. A, a big label and, and and bands that hailed from that label and like promoters and sort of like working itself into like tour circuits and stuff like that even though yeah. i wasn't in a, i wasn't in a band back then like doing any of that stuff so um, yeah <laughs> yeah it's, it's just it was just like super busy super fertile people gave so much of a shit about music you can tell we chose four songs each for this and it's like it was hard extremely difficult yeah like the stuff that I left off, I'm like, oh, why did I leave that off? But I don't know. You, you got to cut off, have a hard cut off at some point, you know, otherwise you're going to drive yourself insane. Yeah. All right, so let's let's get into these tracks. This first one is a pick. I think when we first started sharing tracks, I, I had I had a a track from these guys on here, and and you're like, oh, I, I've already got it. So uh, this was the this one was on both of our minds. It's a must. 
So this is uh, Duster. Uh, the track is called Inside Out. This is a track that you picked, Tom. Um, this is off the album Stratosphere from 1998. They're from San Jose. Um, what, what can you tell us about Duster? Why are they important? I think uh, there's been a huge resurgence of slowcore in the last few years, and we're talking about, you know, influences today. And I think Duster's just down from their recording techniques, the way they did their artwork, um, just even their songs and how simple they are, but just full melody, even if it's the same thing playing over and over. I think a lot of that, like, really is going on. Like, people have really gravitated towards that in the last few years. I think more so than most other slowcore bands even from the era but i think they just had like this complete package about them and they were still relatively kind of unknown in the 90s i mean they had a following obviously but it's definitely grown in the last 20 years yeah i was um i i looked them up on spotify and i was surprised like the monthly listens were like two hundred thousand or something i was like holy shit yeah they're <laughs> they're like a legacy band now they definitely are mm-hmm. And I'm sure with the Numero group putting out their stuff too, that really helped too. But there was a while there, if you even trying to find some of those old CDs, they were getting really expensive because they just weren't impressed. Like mm-hmm. people knew about them, people still loved them, but it wasn't like huge. And then as the prices of those things started going up, I guess, you know, it became known that they need to repress stuff. And then they put out a record, what, two years ago? That record is fucking amazing. Yeah. It, it it sounds... It, it's definitely still them, but they're not trying to do everything they did in the 90s and early 2000s. I still listen to that record. Even it's just, I think I might listen to that record a little more than even the 90s stuff. It's like a perfect record. Mm-hmm. I agree. I mean, they only have, what, two full lengths and then that sort of... I don't know. I wouldn't call it a comeback record, but it came out in 2019. Yeah. I was I was looking also on on YouTube. <laughs> the best description I, I've ever seen for Duster was off of a YouTube comment, which is like a very a very rare thing. But it said it just said music for when your life is going nowhere, <laughs> and I was like, that's like exactly exactly <laughs> right. I yeah, like to me when I hear those recordings, it kind of just reminds me of being young and in bands and putting together anything you can to get a song recorded Mm -hmm. and just make it happen and you're just hanging out with your friends and that's kind of the vibe sometimes when i hear those records and why i love them so much yeah an urgency yeah it's an urgency it's definitely like hey we got this cool organ sound that we ran through a fuzz right now hurry up get something together let's record it real quick yeah this is going to sound kind of like i'm insulting them i don't mean to like i love how kind of plain the music is in in some ways right and i think that's exactly why i picked this track because it's I think it's actually the same thing for the whole two and a half, three minutes, but they bring in little melodies and the way the vocals go over it, it just feels like so much more going on mm-hmm. than it really is. And and their guitar parts and their melodies are just like wormholes. Like I get them stuck in my head all the time. Just the guitar parts. It's, it's yeah. usually not even the yeah. not even the vocals like that I that are so like uh, infectious. I think. I definitely agree with you. Like, I can hear a lot of their influence in in popular, like, semi-popular, like, modern indie stuff. Bands like Pyle, even, like, Alex G, Horse Jumper of Love. Like, those, like, I I just hear that stuff and I'm like, oh, man, they're clutching their Duster records. Uh, Yeah, exactly. 
I love those horse jumper love records. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love I, uh, I love all those bands. I, I'm I'm totally happy to hear that kind yeah. of like cyclical, re- repetitive like kind of guitar stuff like like happening right now. But the great thing of what they're doing is they're taking the Duster Blueprint and doing their own thing with it, and that's important. Totally. And and one of the reasons that I love this album Stratosphere is because uh, I don't maybe you can explain this. Like it does it sounds like it has totally different production value from song to song, right? Oh yeah, hundred percent. Oh uh, yeah, um, you could tell they they might have just had a quick cassette somewhere recorder, or well maybe these songs here were recorded when we had a little we were a little bit of studio time somewhere with a little bit of better equipment. You could definitely tell, it. and like like you said, it's like that sense of urgency. It doesn't sound like in a way to me that they were working on a record, but they mm. were just kind of working on songs, and then they had a bunch of songs that said, "Okay, let's get these to a point where it's like a record now." That's the way I feel about it. Sure, it's totally cohesive album. It's just it almost sounds like a like a comp of like various eras of the band where they had different things, but it, it's not because it it the album flows. It's just you have to be you just have to be okay with like jumping from like different production values. Like some some songs are relatively clean and some songs are pretty rough sounding. Exactly, and but that's where I. I I think that comes from the whole DIY thing. It's just like they didn't, you know, they didn't block off a week to go, all right, we're going to record this record this week and we got to do everything right and blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, we, we had three songs this weekend on a jam session that we recorded quick and they work. All right, save those. And then maybe two months later, okay, we, we're in this other room now and this these songs, that's the way it feels to me is that... that there was no sense of urgency to like make a record. Yeah, it's a totally unromanticized like way to be in a band, basically. Um, also, yeah. like, how was this album made in 1998? I was like surprised when I went back because in my head I always thought of Duster as like a super early 90s like indie band that was like, you know, putting out stuff around the time like Polvo or like uh, you know, Unwound or Slint, like we're first starting to release some of their stuff. Like this came out much later than I thought. And honestly, I don't think there could have been like much of an appetite for Duster's music in a year like 1998, you know? No, exactly. And that's, I remember doing the same exact thing looking up because I thought it was like, oh, 93, 94, mm-hmm. this record. That's what it sounds like. Out. Oh no, it was 98. Yeah, 98. And that's, and that's something I thought of recently too. I'm like, who was like, besides an underground and in a basement who were the big there there wasn't a huge audience for that kind of stuff now and it's great to see that they're finally getting their due now because that stuff is completely amazing and i'm sure it's got to be totally unexpected for the guys in the band i would imagine like (laughs) i mean yeah i mean they were doing bands and stuff since then but Mm -hmm. the fact that people like still care that much about something you probably wrote in your like late 20s or something yeah it's got to be a weird feeling for them (laughs) all right well um it's that no one cared about at the time yeah yeah there's no way anyone cared about it you know they're one of those bands i'm sure that the the request for for someone to reissue their old stuff has probably been like mounting for like 20 years now yeah those those numero um reissues are are i got the box actually and it's it's ah, perfect i love it i got the box on cd and i ended up buying the record separately because usually i'm I am a 90s child, obviously, still. I go for CD first and then the LP later. Yeah, those are all CDs behind you, right? Depending on. They look like? Yeah. yeah. And this is just part of my wall. It goes way down the side of the house that way and over. Oh, man. 
and then I have a whole eight, 16 cubes of records here almost all filled. This is, this is, yes, you have, you've built quite an awesome cave here. <laughs> yeah, it's, I, we want, I think my, my girlfriend said it's one quarter of our house. It's the whole part of our basement. <laughs> it's nothing but amps and records. You're like, it's still growing too. I mean, like. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you think, you think this is going to, any of this is going to go anywhere? <laughs> I just bought a shelf the other day, and I was moving stuff around. I went up to her. I'm like, I know we just bought this house, but I think we're going to have to get another house because I'm <laughs> running out of room. To have a music house. Yeah, she, she's liking the fact that I haven't been touring either, just for the fact that usually when I'm on tour and I come home with a little bit of extra cash, I'm like, I'm going to buy this amp. I'm going to buy that amp. She's like, what about those other amps? I'm like, well, I still use those too. <laughs> These amps do completely different things. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, let's let's take a listen to Inside Out by Duster off of Stratosphere. This next one is a track that I chose. The band is Three Mile Pilot. The song is titled Shang vs. Hanger. Um, this is off the Chief Assassin to the Sinister album from 1994. This is a San Diego band. Uh, are you familiar with these guys at all? I am not. Um, what's funny is when I when I finally listened to the song, I, for some reason in my head, I always thought of Three Mile Pilot as like a pop punk band. It's the name, right? It's the name. I feel like there was a band in the late 90s or early 2000s that was something very similar. And yeah, like it was the name. So I always never looked into them. 
And I'm listening to this song. I was like, holy shit. Why don't I know this? And then I started reading into it. I'm like, holy shit. It's guys from like uh, Black Heart Possession yeah. and all that. I'm like, this is right up my alley. So to be honest, I listened to the song a couple times. I didn't listen to anything else. And I just ordered the CDs. And they are, I'm waiting for them to come in the mail. Oh, hell yeah. You're going to love them. Because I'm like, this is completely up my, my, my see, a rabbit hole. This is what it's all about. This, this is what it's all about. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I actually am kind of new to this band myself. And, and, like, I didn't know either that a lot of the members of Three Mile Pilot, like, they went on to form Pinback, which is a yeah. band I don't know a whole lot about, but I know that they're popular. Pinback or, yeah, you want to get into some Pinback. Yeah? Yeah. yeah oh, yeah. I think I've heard I've heard, I've heard, heard a couple of, of their stuff. I don't know. I always, th- I always thought there might be an emo band. Again, it's the name. It sounds like an emo band name. Again? Yes, yeah. <laughs> but I don't think that's what they are, right? No, they're kind of like, that. got that, like... That math rocky kind of instrumental stuff going. Same thing that Three Mile Pilot has kind of with that that bass. It's it's that, but it's just on a bigger scale, I think. Right. So you had like a bunch of guys from this band went on to form Pinback, and then a, two guys went on to form Black Heart Procession. Um, so they're one of those like origin kind of bands that sprouts off into other projects. Um, and, and I honestly I don't know a, a hell of a lot about them. Um, I think some of their later material might be a little spotty that uh, from what I was reading, but I don't know that from experience. But like this song is so weird. Like there's some really weird choices on this song. There's like bagpipes in the beginning of it, which are really unsettling. I was gonna say the bagpipes got me at first because I'm like, I don't know if they're really fully in key with the song. <laughs> no, I don't think so. But upon second and third listen, I was like, no, no, they work. I like this. It, it gives it like almost an ambiance in the background that if it wasn't there. I don't think the song would be the same. Yeah, and I like like the the minimal kind of plucky type of guitar playing in the tone. Like I watched the live video of them playing the song, and the and the guy's doing a lot of like tapping with his hands, not like strumming really or or playing co- like traditional chords. And and that's kind of I guess it's kind of like a mathy thing to do. But uh, I just love how like angular and catchy this is. And I guess there's like a a San Diego kind of sound, I guess, because there's you have other bands like Drive Like Jehu and Antioch Arrow, which I think all proved to be like pretty influential bands, like especially on like late '90s and early 2000s, kind of like post-hardcore, maybe even screamo stuff. Yeah, that 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 angular side. It was either it was like you had DC sound doing the mm-hmm. angular stuff, or you had you know like San Diego and stuff. Yeah, because exactly. you have like the Locust come out of San Diego as well. Yep. Um. I'll probably and a lot of really shitty music came out of a lot of this stuff. Oh, I'm sure. like an unreal amount. But I was always tuned into those other bands, but I, I always ignored this one. But I don't know this this song is so good. Like the intensity of it, the chorus is great. It's got like the quiet loud thing, but it's more of like a build up quiet loud than like a Nirvana Pixies rapid. Yeah, just quiet like, loud. Here it is. Yep. Yeah. And and what you said is like it's very angular, but. It's very melodic, and that's what it does it for me. Cause sometimes a lot of those angular bands are just like, I'm like, all right, this is off the wall. Where's where's a song? I'm still very much a melody person, and uh, and that's what really like stood out for me on this song. Like you said, it was more of a build to the like, and it's not even like it gets like loud, but it gets the intensity uh, built. There's no distortion, I don't think, like on on any of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's all in like you could tell they were playing off each other and knowing how to bring the song up without just using pure volume. And I really liked that. I think I think I found out about this band because um, uh, Aesop Decker from 
Agaloc, Ludicro was just would just always post about how fucking awesome female pilot was like all the time. And I just, really? I just ignored <laughs> the posts like over and over and over. And then like one day I was like, let me just actually check this band out and see what this is. Cause this, this seems weird. And I was just like, Oh yeah, this is, this is so good. So I'm going to, I'm going to have to respond to you in like a week or so when those CDs come in the mail, yeah. and I finally give them a full listen. <laughs> well, I mean like if you, if you dug this song, I think, I think you're going to really dig it. And that was the thing. It was like, sometimes I'm very good with like, I can listen to like a minute of something and be like, all right, I'll buy this. I, I think I can get on board with this. But I listened to that song multiple times. I was like, yeah, I need to, I need to find these. Well, and I, I do that too. I'll, one song will like blow me back and then I'll just be like, I'm not going to like stream this and, or, and like listen to the whole album. I'm going to buy the physical media, wait for it to come and like get to have an experience with this, listening to an album for the first time. Cause it's so often when I buy like a CD or a tape or a vinyl, like I love the album already. I'm familiar with it. And it's just like, I'm just need the physical, I need to physically place it in my collection. And that's not the actual yeah. experience of like listening to music, like that magical experience of listening to it for the first time. Yeah, that, that's exactly it. <laughs> and I think that's kind of where I'm at. I'm like, all right, I really like this song, but I'm not going to listen to the rest until I have, I could look through the book a little bit or something, you know? Yeah. No, you're going to love it. Um, I will, I will, Definitely check out Pinback. Um, actually, Black Heart Procession is not even a band that I'm super familiar with. Why do I think they're like kind of folky and kind of like depressing? Is that is that their thing? Yeah, and they're kind of like a chamber pop kind of group too. It's almost like it's almost like they took like yeah the more folky and melodic sides of this band, and then they added violin and stuff like that to it. They're really good. I like a lot of their records too. And they're '90s, like '90s, 2000s, probably right. Yeah, nineties two thousands. I think I got into them in like the mid two thousands when one of I, I'm trying to think of what record it was that came out. Maybe six, maybe one before it. Yeah, I don't know, and I don't know if it's like the vocalist of this band is the if he went to Pinback or Black Heart Position. I don't know, but I, I I love I love his vocals. I don't know. Can yeah. you can you make a connection? Is it like the Pinback guy? You think? I think it. I don't know if he's singing in Pinback, but I think he's in Pinback. Yeah, that's that's my guess. Yeah. Okay. Anything else on Three Mile Pilot? Uh, glad I'm super stoked to you like this. Uh, yeah. Um. Hold on. I'm looking this up. The lead singer from Three Mile Pilot. What does he play? Yeah, it's not the pinback guy because that guy's name is like Rob he, something, right? That's Rob Crow, but right. they both do vocals. Ah. So it's Rob and him are like the main main dudes from Pinback. And if, and if you're gonna start from a, a record for them, I would go Blue Screen Life or Summer and Abandon. Those records are great. Yeah, I, I'm yeah. familiar with a little bit of their stuff. They have like that kind of like almost police kind of thing going on, right? Yeah, it'd be like police if they were actually a punk band. <laughs> yeah. And came from a DIY instead of being like super cool dudes trying to fake it as punks. These were punks actually trying to fake it as like, well, they are really good musicians, but like, yeah, yeah, you'll you'll enjoy those those records from Pinback. Hell yeah. And again, they started in 98, so they're still technically a 90s band as well. Technically, Pinback is a 90s band, yeah. But this is like yeah. this is like the the dirtier version of it, so I'm glad I'm glad we went with this one. Yeah. Cool. Well, let's uh let's listen to this track. This is Shang versus Hanger from 3 Mile Pilot. Thank you. 
All right. Uh, this next one, Tom Tom's pick. This is Luxurious Bags. The track is called All the Time in the World. It is off the album Frayed Knots from 1994. Uh, I couldn't confirm whether they're Boston or Connecticut band. Do you know which? I think they're like just New England. Again, I don't know. I don't know a whole lot about this band. I found out about them in 2014 because a review of my record from 2014 on Pitchfork compared me to them. Oh wow! I I didn't know them at all, but the the reviewer is somebody that like, or not so much reviewer. Maybe it was someone else did uh, put me on a list for it from Pitchfork, and that person I respect. So I was like, well, let me go check them out. Mm-hmm. And that's the first song on the record, and it blew me away, and I had to have it. I bought that record twice because I found it in Portland on tour on CD. Nice. That CD got stolen, and I found it again because I needed it. <sighs> There's just so, it's one guy. It's not even a band. It's a it's a recording project of one guy whose name is Tom. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I don't. Again, it was like you said, '94. Yeah. Like. That sounds like it could be like somebody making recordings in their house today. There's just something about like just the full forward like it's like a wall of sound. Mm-hmm. The melodies are all super like glitchy. Like I'm just even thinking about my how like how did they even do this in the 90s mm-hmm. to get that sound? And I again I could see a lot of that in music today, or just people are just like a full wall of sounds and trying to be kind of electronic but kind of not and the melody on it is just like amazing it's a seven and a half minute song and i kind of want it to keep going i i know nothing about this band i never even heard of them um it, it it's it's like kind of like spacey kind of psychedelic almost like it reminds me a little bit of like sebado and and dinosaur jr kind of more like that guitar solo the one that comes in to like the 330 mark which uh, god that solo is fucking incredible yeah, I, I, all right. I just pulled something up on them because it definitely gets you know to Dinosaur Junior and My Bloody Valentine. And it's like major points for them, mm-hmm. and like the Terry Riley, who's the, the minimalist composer. I could see that too. Like you're you're playing that same thing kind of over and over and just adding and subtracting things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I think this guy was in a band called Saint Johnny, maybe. Like I don't even think I've I've ever heard this band like referenced before. No, and that, like I said, that was the first time I ever heard of them. And since I got that, um, you know, since I was mentioned, it was a review of me that mentioned them. Which album was were, were they reviewing? It was my album, Desideratum. Same thing. So they mentioned, you know, like, like them, like I respond, sound like them. And I was like, I don't know who they are, but I'll check them out. And like I said, I, I got, they were on my radar at all. I still, like I said, there's not even that much information about them. And I'm hoping if people hear this, they'll listen to them. Because the records are still very, they got reissued a few years ago. And you could still easily get the LP and the CD from them. Yeah. From, uh, if you go on Force Exposure's website. Yeah, you could get, get the album there. And yeah, it's just, I don't know. Like I said, I bought that record twice already because... When it got stolen, I wanted it again because there's just something, it's something about it. I just love these records. And then I think there's another record. It's like a, like earlier stuff. It's like a compilation of just more early recordings from them. I think this was, this was the last album that, that Luxurious Bags put out. You mentioning the, the Pitchwork review. I could kind of see it. Like, I know that they're not, they weren't on your radar. They're clearly not an influence on the music. I think it's just maybe coincidental. But this track made me think of um, 
the first track on that album, uh, uh, Where You Rest Your Head at Night, like, in a way. Yeah. And I listened to it, and I was like, okay, I can see where this reviewer definitely put two and two together. But, like I said, never knew it, and that was someone else's deep musical knowledge coming out, Mm -hmm. and maybe... You know, sharing it with me now, or anybody who read that. Re- I don't know if anybody even read that review and caught on to it. It's like, well, let me check this band out. At least, at least a few people, I'm sure. Like anyone who's reading, I who's hope. reading the text of the review, not just looking at the score and like moving on. Yeah. Um, I am. I, I yeah. would imagine. I'd like to think, in good faith, that they're like, you know, like interested in the writing, interested in like the reference points and whatnot. Um, yeah. I don't know. I think I, I. I don't think they sound. The sound is the same, or the style is the same or anything like that it's just kind of it's just kind of that layering and that crackly kind of thing that's happening throughout the entire track i think where, where i yes. listen to the first track off of uh your record and i'm like oh yeah yeah i see that like I, I i get that that's a constant and maybe both you and the other tom are like pulling from something similar i don't know i mean who, who knows you know yeah who knows but it's cool, and that's how I found the record. And that's, like I said, I, I know I picked this, and I didn't really have a whole lot of background on it, but I felt like it was important to have on here because this was something that was definitely happening in the 90s, and it had an audience enough that it was pressed. Yeah. You know, and someone even knew about it, and it, it had another short life. You know, there, they were reissued, but I don't know. If anything big came around those either. Yeah, and if it's one person, I mean, I wonder if they toured or or didn't. If it's just, I don't think they did. I think they were in other bands, and it was just kind of like their side thing, like a small setup at their house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is definitely this is definitely like very underground. Maybe the most it might be the most obscure thing on this list. Uh, um, <laughs> but I loved it. I didn't get a chance to listen to the rest of the album. Um, I like saved the the YouTube. A full album and I, I can't wait to listen to the rest of this but i imagine it, it holds up all the way it holds up but i that song just the intro it's the oh, first song it's i don't know if it's because it's the first it's like hearing music for the first time it's like that one stuck in my mm-hmm. head is like that is the song yeah no this is great okay uh anything else with luxurious bags we want to talk about we're gonna fucking raise their profile single-handedly with this with this 10 minutes of talking I about hope this. so I really do <laughs> you gotta you gotta look this older guy's gonna be like what the fuck people are buying my records like crazy <laughs> yeah that'd be so awesome if you reached out please please uh, miss, uh, Tom out there if anyone knows him reach out reach out reach out to, to this Tom not me though I don't I don't I don't have any stake <laughs> in this okay let's listen to All the Time in the World by Luxurious Bags <laughs>
next one is uh, my pick. This is the band Starflyer 59. The track is Dual Overhead Cam. This is from the, the 1995 album Gold. We're really sticking to the mid-90s right now. They were from Riverside, California. Um, I think it's just outside LA. Um, do you know Do you know this band, Starflyer 59? Yes, a little bit. And it's only been within the last few years. And what was funny is the... The day before you sent your picks over to me, I actually listened to Silver and Gold back to back, driving home, and so I was like, "Oh, okay, perfect." Wow, so they were just they were just fresh like that. Yeah, they were. So I just had to go back and like, cause you know, if I'm just listening in the car, I'm not really paying attention to track names and stuff. So I'm like, "All right, I have to go back and look to see which one that was." Mm-hmm. Um, again, wasn't very aware of them for a lot of years because I don't know if the whole christian scene thing in my brain or maybe it even wasn't even that but like they kind of changed styles a few times if i'm not wrong right you're right and i think they they had some weird records in not or the late or early 2000s that i just had no care for so i never really checked out some of this stuff and you know i have a friend that's very into them because they grew up very much you know in a christian household that they could only listen you know to certain records but these this, are big uh, records. Lars from NPR. No, but actually, holy shit! I forgot Lars does. That's he's always bringing that stuff up. He always brings yeah. them up and writes about them. Yeah. Well, that too. It was him and my other friend. I'm like, you know, what? I finally got to listen to these two records. And when I listened to them, I'm like, holy shit! Why aren't these these two records? Why are they not held up to the same standards like Loveless or mm-hmm. any of the slow dive records or any of these big shoegaze bands that everybody's talking about now? Those two records should be way up there. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think the qual- the quality is like there on on those two especially. Especially Sil- uh, Silver is like a very like excellent like shoegaze record. I don't I don't know if it's the Christian thing. I mean it's it's uh it's just kind of funny. Which is to, fine. Like, I don't care if that's it, but I I guess you know you play to that world a little bit. You you close yourself off a little bit. Yeah. And and it is fine because a lot of people make good livings doing that, and there's. Obviously, they were making amazing records that are full of art and stuff, but it's just a shame that maybe a lot of people didn't catch on to them because they worried about that. I think I think that's the case. I think they have like a cult following, but that's it. And and you would never know they're Christian because if even if you were reading the lyrics, they're they're very depressive and like right kind of kind of like overwrought. Um, they were on that label Tooth and Nail, which is like a kind of like a Christian. I always thought it was a Christian punk label, but I think they had all kinds of music on there. And, and but it was like alter- alternative stuff. I was very much into Zayo, Me Without yeah. You, all those bands. Like, yeah. I did like all that scene, you know, the Christian scene. And Zayo is one of my favorite bands of all time. When I oh, play so shows, awesome. I sound check with the Zayo riff every single time I play a show. <laughs> nice. And only once in a while have I had people come up and be like, holy shit, fucking Zayo. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> But I don't know if it was just because in that time period, I was more into the metalcore stuff. And I was like a teenager and wanted to be like, you know, testosterone and aggressive. And that's what I wanted. Mm-hmm. But I should have been listening to the, those two records. And in fact, I actually just got it in the mail the other day. I got the, the next record, which is Americana, which is the last record of the shoegaze version yes. of the band. And yeah. I haven't listened to it yet. It's really good. The, the The silver and gold are where it's at for me. Um, and then they kind of just turn into like a pop rock kind of band. Um, it's good. It's just not like my. It's just not for me. I, I did buy another record from them that came out in the last few years. It's called Slow. 
And again, it's one of those records I bought just because I heard a like, couple minutes of something. I said, okay, he, it's like a lo-fi kind of like slow quarry album. And I oh, haven't wow. listened to the record yet because I have a stack of records I got to get through. It's just the way I am. I try to spend some time with things. But yeah, so I don't know. I don't know how far back now from there I need to go. Because like you said, there was definitely like a pop rock period that was like, eh. Yeah. And but like for this song, I chose this song specifically because um, it's like very clear to me that this band loves like guitar and tone and effects, and I think this song is a fucking awesome display of that. Like I love those feedback kind of like sharp feedback stabs during the verses and like that the twangy kind of like leads. Yeah. <laughs> it's really cool. And then the chorus is just so overloaded on distortion; it's almost funny, you know. It's just this massive wall that comes in out of nowhere. And that's why I love it. You you said they love guitars. And if you listen to this whole record, you could tell how much time they spent on guitars and guitar overdubs. Because yeah. when you listen to the drums, they literally, it sounds like they threw two, three mics up on the drums and said, okay, we're done. We're done yeah. here. They sound terrible, but perfect. It's just like you could tell they spent almost no time on the drums and they used up all their tracks for just like, <laughs> and it's amazing i actually really love the choice anime but you could hear it through the whole entire record you're like yeah they spent a lot of time on guitars on this record yeah definitely like probably close to a kevin shields level of like obsession you know yes 100. Um, and again i this band i think people really need to listen to those two full records and let them be in shoegaze like legacy albums a hundred percent. But like this track is, I don't know. This one doesn't sound like a lot of their stuff. I think it's very brooding. Um, I, there's like almost a, I get like, I feel like Billy Corgan could have written some like this. I, you know, I, I, cause again, I, I revisited everything again this morning and, uh, that, that, those verses, that baseline, I'm trying to think of what it reminds me of and I can't figure it out. But like you said, it, this is like, if we want to talk nineties, quiet, loud thing, this mm-hmm. song is probably the song on this uh, this uh, podcast that we're going to talk about that really does it because it has that moody bass and like you said and I don't know where the chorus comes in it's just like wall of guitars. Yeah, it's a wall. Like if you're not prepared for it, it, it might make you be like, oh, like jump up a little bit. Yeah. And then at the end part, they just like go straight into like this bridge where with that like giant wall of distortion and it's like it's just like fucking hard rocking like awesome moment i wonder what they were like live in that time period if they really were able to match because a lot of you could tell it's a lot of it. it's them in the studio like doing stuff so i wonder if mm. they were really able to like match that live and i if they could have i would have loved to seen that they couldn't have had a big budget in studio i don't think like at the time i mean no they weren't signed to a major but as still, far as i know no, but they still, they spent a lot of time on guitars, and you could tell that. Yeah, yeah. They yeah. I, Whatever budget they had, they spent, like I said, drums. <laughs> all, all of it on guitars. Yeah, we, we set up, you're done in a half a day, got the parts, <laughs> all right. <laughs> Drummer, get in here for yeah, just a little bit. Yeah, do your we, thing. we, we have need... five days. We're going to use about three hours for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this the, I agree with you. This band super underrated. Uh, don't let the Christian thing throw you off. It doesn't really matter at all. Um, and yeah, this is a this is a really uh, I would say dark kind of track for them. A lot of the stuff is 
a little lighter and a little airier. Yeah, definitely. But this but one it's is a good ju- track. <laughs> this one just fucking screams '90s to me. I love it. Yes, hundred percent. All right. Well, let's uh, listen to "Dual Overhead Cam" by Starflyer Fifty Nine.
think I'm going to listen to that record again today. <laughs> gold? Yeah. Gold is, gold is where it's at. Like, I don't know I don't know which one I like more, but... Uh, when I, I listen to them back to back, that's exactly what I was doing. I'm like, I don't know if I could pick a favorite, because they definitely are in the same wheelhouse, but they do something each very different. Yeah, and they were doing it at the same time as all those other shoegaze bands. Like it's not like they came at, they came afterwards. Like it was happening at the exact same time. And I didn't know that until like I really looked at the dates when they came out. I was like, "No, they were they were like right in the middle of it. It wasn't like in 1998 or like, yeah. "Oh, we're going to listen to all these records from 92." It's like, yeah. "No, they were probably making that stuff as kids and then they got a band that, you know, was able to, you know, make a big record and Yeah, we're like 11, 12 when this shit came out, like <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> it's wild. All right, this next one, uh, it's a Tom pick. We've got the Swirlies, or just maybe just Swirlies. I'm, I would actually figure that out today if they go by just Swirlies or the Swirlies. I'm not sure. I, th- I think I was looking at your music, and it was just Swirlies. But uh, do you have a, a CD back there? Yeah, I'm going to grab it real quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, go grab it. I'll introduce this. It's um, The album is called They Spent Their Wild Youthful Days in the Glittering World of the Salons. <laughs> Great title. This is from 1996. This is a Boston band. Um, this is a band I always heard of them. Sorry, say that again. I was just saying. I was just telling the uh, the title of the album came out in '96. Boston band. I've always heard of them, and I just didn't check them out for. I, I can't even. Just one of those bands. There's no reason why I didn't check it out. It just didn't happen. Yeah, it's Swirlies. I could actually tell you when I bought this. Is there a sticker on it or something? Yeah, I bought it from Princeton Record Exchange for $1.99. Oh, hell yeah. In January of 2009. That rules. This is their first record, right? No, I think this is actually their second record. Oh, okay. Uh, their first record, I was just listening to it this morning. It's Blonde something. I The name's escaping me right now. This is kind of the big one, though, right? This is the big one, yeah. So like what 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 is it about Swirlies? Why are they important to you? Like um, is two thousand nine when you kind of discovered them? Yeah, I think so. I may maybe I heard something just previous to it, and then I finally found a copy of the CD. But I almost want to say like they're kind of in the same wheelhouse as Duster, as so like they're definitely like a DIY like recording project. A lot of their stuff is done on four tracks and like eight track things in their practice space or studios, but then they'd go the whole other route that whereas Duster will play the same part. They're like the prog rock version yeah. in a way. That's the best way I could put it. And I could see a lot of that in like newer bands like um what are they my brain Spirit of the Beehive. Have you ever listened to them? They're like a newer indie band. Mm-mm. They have a they have a record coming out on uh they're from Philadelphia. They I think they have a record coming out next month on saddle creek but it has that vibe feeling to me a little bit where it's like it's kind of twee pop they got like the you know the bendy guitars bigger moments electronic stuff going on mm-hmm. and then like just weirdness like they were just like doing whatever they wanted making weird sound collages and stuff i think i got into this band because uh i'm trying to think of his name i'm looking here on it's cool that i pulled this out now because i go look at Rich Costi produced it, and uh, he did some records with the band Mew. Oh, that okay. This makes sense now. And and I think Swirlies technically never ever broke up, and they kind of do things here and there. But 
this record is just it's just in this song shows perfectly exactly what I was saying is like they got the the twinkly indie parts they got that mm-hmm. the early 90s shoegaze stuff going on but at the same time it's just like it's completely their own thing and it's like a collage but it's like not it's like they're playing this yeah the first thing I was like holy shit this drummer like this is not your typical shoegaze drummer this is guys right like, amazing in the in the time signatures are so bizarre it's hard kind of hard to follow sometimes and that's and i think maybe that's why like when i heard of mew and i was really into mew mew is one of those bands where i feel like you it, your brain thinks they're playing in four four and they're just like playing a simple beat but yeah. when you really listen to it and you're like holy shit the timing on this is crazy and the swirlies do a lot of that yeah where it's it doesn't sound like mathy to the surface like anyone who's who's just kind of into straight ahead stuff is not going to be like caught off by it but then right. people who are like very into like songcraft and, and and all the technical stuff really can like nerd out on it too um i the mew thing is i, I never put that together that makes total sense um and i don't know do you know this band there's another band they're on svart records they're called chiron i-r-s-e i don't they're from Finland, I think. I don't know. They're, they when I heard this swirlies, I was like, oh, this reminds me so much of them. They're they're a, they're can like kind of like. Can you send me a message with them? So yeah, yeah, I will. I think go down, I think grab all of them. I I think you're gonna dig dig this band a lot. They're like heavy shoegaze band, but like the playing is fucking ridiculous. Like they're all immensely like talented. Like they're like Opeth kind of like level proggy talented, but they don't. Yeah. It's not about the technicality at all. Like, um, it's it's all about like the atmosphere and the songcraft, and it's really beautiful. Um, I'll I'll send that to you. But you're right. Like, this uh, the arrangements are just like pretty complex. Um, there's weird timing on a lot of the stuff rhythmically. Um, and when the band launches into like the super rocking noisy parts, it, like it, it goes into like overdrive, and it's almost like assaulting. Um, yeah. This is more like really noisy kind of rock with like dreamy parts, I would say, than like the other way around. Definitely. Uh, and that's what I'm loving is because I'm, I mean, I'm, again, I was talking about Duster just having the whole package, like, you know, artwork, everything, the aesthetic is just there. And the artwork on this just screams 90s collage to me. But it's also at the same time, it's how their music kind of sounds. It's like a collage of everything they were doing. But I'm, I'm laughing because there's a, there's a little thing in parentheses here that says, no synthesizers have been used on this recording. And then you go to the next like little section and tells you everything the band has played. And there's tons of synthesizers on this record. So you're like, there's definitely some of that like tongue in cheek stuff like going. And I love it. Yeah. Um, there's definitely an electronic like synth aspect to the, to the whole record. This was one where I did listen to the entire record and I was like, Oh, how have I managed to avoid this? Like this, <laughs> And there's no there's no good reason for it at all. Also, the production is like crazy good. Like I I know they're going for a cleaner sound, but I would I would just kind of assume that the noisy parts would sound weird with like this kind of production, but they sound awesome. Yeah, I think that the way the way I'm looking at it now is like this record must have they must have did a lot of it in a studio and a lot of it at home because that was their big thing. They did a lot of stuff on four tracks. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like they did a lot and then took it to a studio and rearranged it and got it fixed up. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong. I was trying to read up on some of it recently. But yeah, I love this record. This record is like, it's a perfect pop record. You get your noise stuff, you get your beautiful melodies. And like you said, it's just 
the playing on it. A lot of times I think a lot of people give shit to indie rock a little bit for, you know, not being amazing musicians, but there's some insane playing on these records. Yeah. So we're so in the grand scheme of things, were were Swirlies like a, a, a big band like that I just overlooked or or are they is their profile kind of like still a little not as high, not as high as it should be because every when i when i searched for them i mean it seemed they seemed to be like a very praised band i saw the review like the records reviewed in a lot of like kind of bigger places but i don't know i still feel like they're slept on yeah i think they you know when they were doing their thing people did like them but there was constant like uh it seems like they were always like their touring lineup was constantly changing constantly just having different people so i don't know if that kind of happened, and they just kind of died off. But it seems like they like they still put out like weird recordings here and there. Yeah. And I don't know. I think it's just one of those things where they could have been praised at the time, and then it's been twenty some years, so it just died off a little bit. But I know they toured a few years ago with the band Nothing. Oh, really? Yeah. Nice. They they I saw that. I remember that, and I think they may have done a few shows with Duster when they came back. I could be wrong on that, but I don't know. I love this band, though. Even all, like, they're weirder. Like, I think, actually, the first thing I found from them was an EP that came out just before this record. And it's just, like, it's seven songs, and most of them are all, like, weird noise tracks. And then, like, I think the song I picked is on that one. I could be wrong. So it's mm. kind of like that. It's like, oh, they're doing all this weird collage stuff, but they have this, like, beautiful melody stuff going on and like it's oh, gorgeous yeah. oh yeah yeah totally um yeah this was this was excellent i love this i i, I really am gonna get into the rest of their discography but um and that's cool that they, that they toured with nothing and i mean that was only like maybe 2017 maybe 2016 so it wasn't that long ago they they're still kind of doing it but not really just kind of like the old and the old and the new the you know band's that were influenced nothing i'm sure i'm sure they're a band that influenced them in yeah. a big way i don't know it's got to be weird for like those those og people who are in bands like this and then seeing like resurgence in the sound and newer bands like what what is that relationship like like between kind of the younger and the older i don't know do you have any experience with that like yourself or any not yet i i do often get a lot of people sending me stuff and i'm like oh yeah you you definitely listen to me but the thing is, is, I don't really <laughs> listen to a lot of music that sounds like me. Like, yeah. like I've been doing a thing on Instagram for the last like month or so, where like I I do Sunday through Monday or Sunday through Wednesday, and then Thursday through Sunday or something like that. I I gotta think of or it's Monday through Wednesday and Thursday through Sunday, and I'm just like making collages of everything I'm listening to because so many people like I did a thing recently like oh ask me about my record collection. Everyone's like oh black metal this and what black metal? i'm like i don't listen to a lot of black metal i'm like i listen to like weird uh you know um i said i listen to weird indie rock and stuff or like weird 90s bands i'm like i don't listen to a whole lot of like metal or things that necessarily sound like me so it's kind of what i've been doing with these like this is what i've been listening to and also hoping that people find some of bands like a swirlies or mm -hmm. and are like okay i want to check this out do you think they're asking because they hear black metal in your music Oh, I'm sure, and okay. and like, I think a lot of the black metal I listen to is like just like the big names, like Weakling and you know Wolves and Throne Room, 
Yeah. And everyone's like, well, where does the heavy stuff come from? I'm like, I grew up, like, in my teen years, I was really into, like, the Screamo scene, but it was, like, the Page 99s, Orchid, bands like yeah. that. And I'm like, oh, they always had, like, that one slow song on every record that was really doomy, but very melodic. I'm like, that's where the heavy stuff comes yeah, from. In my that's music. me right there. Yeah. I'm like, it's not the black metal or metal. And I do like a lot of that stuff, but it's just like, that's not my primary. Yeah. No, that makes sense. All right. Well, is there anything else about Swirlies we want to get through? I like that we're, I don't know. I have a feeling, and not that I know my audience that well or anything like that, that we're going to be introducing them to like at least like five or six new bands here. <laughs> Hopefully, that, and that, that's the good thing about stuff like this. More so with your picks, which yeah, it's not a competition or anything like that. But, yeah, um, definitely. All right, well, let's listen to In Harmony, Newfound Freedom by Swirlies. <laughs>
All right, so this next one is by the band Failure. The track is called Another Space Song. It's off the album Fantastic Planet. This is from 1996. They were a Los Angeles band. Uh, this is probably the most well-known of any of the bands on our list. Uh, I think Failure were like s- signed to a major back then, maybe Warner Brothers. Sounds about right. Yeah, I mean, they definitely. this definitely has more of a direct alt-rock thing going on. The music is really catchy. Uh, they were like handsome guys. The the dude has like a nice grungy voice. I mean, he he almost sounds like Kurt Cobain, to be honest. Yeah, a little. I would say in that about a little bit cleaner. Yeah, definitely. Kind of corny lyrics, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> and they had like a low key hit with that song stuck on you. So like this band, I think goes down pretty easily. Um, and also Troy Van Leeuwen joined the band for this record. Um, yep, so and he, he toured for with them for a while. Yeah, yeah. So he, he went on to play with like Queens of Stone Age, Perfect Circle, and yep. like probably a billion other bands, right? Was he with yeah, Marilyn, I, Marilyn Manson, maybe? No, um, I don't think he ever made it uh, to play with Marilyn Manson. I know he did. He played on a Chelsea Wolf record there for a bit. Oh, cool. Yeah, he's kind of like like a go-to guy, I guess. And I'm not like, sure when, when Failure got back together, did he join them at all? I I saw them uh, here, in, here in Phoenix and... Uh, I they no they played as a three piece. Okay, I knew they did some three pieces, but I felt like there was like a time period where he was clear from any kind of touring, and he might have done some shows with them. I'm gonna look that up. I'm not sure. He may have. Uh, I I saw them on on that comeback tour because I think they had a record too. Yeah, um, and were they, were they switching back and forth between bass and guitar? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were. I still hate myself. I was hanging. I I went down to Asbury Park. One of my friends were coming there and they you know they wanted me to drop off a record to them and uh they said hey we have an extra ticket for this show you don't have to pay us or anything and i turned them down i just like i don't know what was right i just didn't want to be at a show that night and so i never got to see them (laughs) are you a fan yeah i do really like failure so that's why i was like i'm just kind of kicking myself i'm like i don't know it's just like one of those weird things where i was like just not feeling being at a show right now and it just dropped on me and i I kicked myself for not going no, I feel you. I've definitely had those <laughs> missed opportunity moments where it's so easy to go back and be like, shit, why didn't I go? But like at the time, yep. yeah, you're just not feeling it. Like, that's it. Yep. It's easy as that. Um, I- I've always had appreciation for this band. I think they have a-, a great tone for like such a clean sounding band. They're self-produced too. So like these guys all kind of know their shit, I think. And I love how this album sounds. I mean, that fucking bass tone is monstrous. <laughs> yes. Especially on this track. The thing I just found out, I mean, I probably found out a few years ago, but there was like a little mini documentary about making this record. It's not real drums on the record. It's all drum machine. Is it? I didn't know that. It's all drum machine. I mean, you can hear it in the song. Their drums are like definitely, I just thought they were touched up or something. No, it's drum machine because there was was a whole part of the documentary about how they were working on all the drum programming for the record. And then I, they spent a lot of time on the bass and a lot of part time on like layering guitars and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know this until recently another nineties band, but typo negative was the same way. There's no real drums on those records. It's all drum machine. Oh, wow. So like the drummer is just the live guy. Yeah. Or the drummer may have helped like, you know, they wrote the songs, but whatever, you know, limitations to whatever recording studio they had, they, they worked on programming drums for them. They were just able to get a nicer sound using the drum machine and get it close enough. Wow. I had no idea. 
this I would say of like all their albums, this is the one that's like considered has some kind of like cult status or following around it. I would say this is definitely the one. And I don't actually don't know whether this was like an immediate hit in the nineties. Um, and it's just kind of like stayed that way ever since, or if it was one of those bands that kind of got rediscovered because they definitely had the most of any of the bands we're talking about today. They had the most success of any of them, but I still think it wasn't like a, there's nothing on like the level of like majority of alt rock bands, you know? No, I don't think so. But I think I want to say they kind of always, you know, kept a profile, but then they got rediscovered. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think one of the guys from this band went on to form. Do you know that band Autolux? Yes. I, uh, really cool band. I'm trying to think. What was funny is I watched a movie the other night. I was getting into Autolux again because I watched a movie the other night and I was looking up the cast and it was a movie about a band and the drummer is actually the drummer from Autolux. Oh, yeah. Female drummer, right? Yeah. It's this movie called Frank and it's got Michael Fassbender on it. And it's. <laughs> I've seen things from it a, a lot, and it's about a ridiculous band, but it, I loved it. And But like I said, I was, it's funny you brought that up, Autolux. That's what I'm saying. Like I think they always kept like kind of a profile because they kept products going that people liked and cared about. But mm-hmm. then there was definitely like a rediscovery that brought them up a little bit bigger. Yeah, and then they reissued, reissued Fantastic Planet. Like I remember that yeah. whole that whole thing was really was really a, a big. Uh, thing but um i don't know yeah just this song in particular i think is is just like the the melodies the the sort of like melancholy of it it's really 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 awesome huge sounding song too like if i was gonna say if if there was a song that i would want to show people um failure it would be this song because exactly what you said it's it's got like the awesome bass tones the guitar melodies are amazing on it it's brooding, but it's not hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. It's it's '90s as fuck too. I just like there's there's no way there's yeah. no way about it. <laughs> it's like yeah, the closest totally. thing to like a grunge kind of thing, although it doesn't pull in like the the metal kind of hard rock influences that grunge has. You know. Yeah, I would say if anything, it has like that punk element to it, but. You would think that maybe instead of like them growing up on like Zeppelin and stuff, like maybe a lot of the you know early '90s guys were into that kind of stuff, that they were probably more into like The Cure and things like that. You could hear it in the melodies. Yeah, I think so. Maybe some Pink Floyd because of like the spacey kind of like yeah stuff that they did as well. Because I was trying to think like what are reference points for a band like Failure, um, and I don't know how much of it's based on like indie rock necessarily. And, that, um, and that's the thing I, I think about too. I'm like, I think often, I'm like, holy shit, a lot of these like bands in the 90s were like my parents' age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's probably like, true. It's weird to think. So then that's exactly what you said. I'm like, I'm trying to think, I'm like, well, what was my dad listening to as a teenager? Like, stuff like that. I'm like, if he were in a band, what would it be? <laughs> yeah. I mean, these guys, uh, you hear them a lot, a lot in like the same sentences, like pavement and a lot of that kind of stuff but I, I don't know i just don't they don't sound like that stuff at all no nothing at all like i love pavement but they, they're the slacker band and low like low lower production value on purpose yeah. like this is fucking this sounds like a high-tech like <laughs> built in a studio robotic you know kind of thing yeah 
I was going to say, yeah, Pavement sounds like they got in the studio and were like, oh, shit, we got to make a song right now. Do it. Yeah, Whereas we're all, like, way Failure too high to like, do it. Oh, yeah. And Failure is, like, very meticulous. Like, we got this. We know exactly what sound we want to do. We're going to get there. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I wanted to have something on here that was a little just, like, high, high higher-end production or whatever um, just to mix things up. Yeah, speaking of high-end, like, even, like, when they got back together, I was watching a rig rundown on them. They're like, their setup for their live shows are ridiculous. He's he's doing he's mixing them from an iPad next to him on guitar as the show's going. Really? Yeah, it's all automated. He's got this whole setup there because I mean they're they're all using like fake you know fake amps like the Axe Effects stuff and all that. But he's he's got a mixing console so he can mix the band as they're like right there. Damn, and then they were are... doing a lot of stuff, switching back and forth between guitar and bass for their setups. Yeah, it was ridiculous. And that's how I, I started looking back into, like, is there anything about how they recorded these? Because, like, you could tell they, like, very meticulous about it. Yeah, these dudes are definitely nerds. Like, there's, there's no doubt. All I'm right. going to say they had a problem with heroin at some point, too. Oh, I think that's true. Yeah, I, I think, think that true. might be why the band broke up. <laughs> But when you hear this, like you don't think about it. You don't. They don't. They sound very like wow. You know, they're they're a little more forward moving than they are like laid back. Yeah, 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 yeah. It doesn't. It sounds. It sounds more like maybe coke would be the problem drug for them <laughs> than heroin. <Yeah. laughs> Especially LA. I'm gonna throw LA under the bus like that. <laughs> oh, it's worth it. <laughs> All right. Um. Anything else with failure? That you want to get I into? think we're good. Okay, this is another space song by Failure.
This next one is a Tom pick. We've got Blue Light Lounge. The track is called Liner. This is off the album Half Cut from 1997. This is an Australian band. This is another one where you stumped me. I had no idea who the fuck this band was. <laughs> Never heard of them in my life. Again, I have no idea how I found them. But this band is, if we're talking about bands that have clear influence today, I see it in all those big shoegaze bands now, even though they weren't like doing that. Mm-hmm. But they're very long, slow quarry type songs that get real big. I, I they were on a pod. I was listening to a podcast recently, or maybe well, it was fucking a few years ago already. But there was one with Mount Erie. But that same person did one on Blue Tile Lounge, and no one even knew who they really were, even in the '90s. And they're still relatively unknown now, I think. But mm-hmm. uh, I released a tape from a band on my uh, on my label, and they were called Palo. They were from Atlanta, Georgia, and they're kind yeah, of like emo e. They're amazing. Just didn't have their shit together. Though members of that are in another, like, really good metal, co- metal, not metal core, but metal band called Malovich now. Hmm. But um, I remember when I was putting a record out, they kept like, they just kept wanting to say like, "Oh, we sound like you and this." I'm like, "No, you guys sound like Blue Tile <laughs> Lounge." If they were like an emo band, I'm like, and I'm not saying that as like, you know, trying to bring you down. Them, you're like, but no one knows who Blue Tile Lounge is, and I'm like, did well, they, you guys did they know do, who they were? And I do. What's that? Did they know who they were? They did. They do. Okay. Blow Tile so they're was. they're an influence on them. Yeah, they definitely were. And I'm like, you guys definitely sound like you're doing that, but you were like an emo band. And I'm like, it's perfect. And yeah, I think this record exactly. And listened to this song this morning. Just when the big park gets really big, I'm just like, so many bands and so many post rock bands mm-hmm. are kind of doing this sound right now, where it's just like very washed out symbols and big chords and the melody there but yeah very shimmering never yeah kind of sounds like an ocean wave like the the whole whole band is like kind of pushing together yeah definitely yeah. and i i feel like i never hear anybody ever talk about them and that was another reason why i wanted to bring them on this hopefully people listen to them i mean people do know them because obviously their records pressed mm-hmm. and there is some internet presence a little bit but yeah, there's not much for them. And Slowcore, you you said earlier, like kind of profile's been raised a little bit. So it'd be natural people go back and they're going to discover Codeine. But like, that's not the only band, you know, or yeah. Bedhead or something like that. There's there's some more stuff in there besides like Red House Painters or whatever. I'm actually looking at this right now. Apparently Sub Pop helped distribute one of their records, their first record in the U.S., and uh, Sonic Youth apparently had them play a leg of uh, some kind of music festival. So mm. there was definitely people knew about them, but it was like one of those things is like when they broke up and that those early days of the internet where a lot of things didn't get carried over for a while, it was kind of, it went missing for a bit. Yeah, actually, now that you mentioned Sonic Youth, there there's a, there was a connection to Thurston Moore and, and one of the other tracks, um, Luxurious Bags. I guess Thurston put out a tape or some of some of that dude's earlier material, um, like oh, that could that could definitely be true. I'll, I'm probably have to dig into that a little bit more too. It just but, goes to show you how how deep Thurston goes with this goes with like music. It's crazy. But again, it's it was the the infancy of the internet where it was a lot of information was being put on there and a lot of things go missing. Like I think about like the early MySpace bands. All that stuff's gone now. A lot of mm-hmm. bands only put their stuff on MySpace. 
They didn't make a CDs or anything like that, and it's just gone now because those you know servers are gone. Yeah, so it's kind of weird to me. Yeah, it's completely wiped. And now there's a whole scene of like 18 and 20 year olds who are doing that sound now and doing the same aesthetic. And I'm like, holy shit, it came full circle. I'm like, they weren't even alive when this stuff was going on. But it's like telling that that kind of music would push a band to like, we want to make a band that sounds, that is this sound, you know? Right. So, and I think just things constantly just, you know, it's moving a little bit. Somebody might, who knows, talking on a podcast like this might help a band like you said, that was kind of disappeared for a while, come back up. I'm not saying yeah. this one, but in general, that's, those are things that happen. You talked about it earlier when we first started talking about You really like to listen to what artists like to listen to because you might find something. Yeah, yeah, I might find something. It might help me put some context to their music. I mean, that's could also not be the case, of course, like, you know. Um, not yeah. everything, not everything you and you and I don't know. I guess there's two different frames of thought. Some people are to say like everything I've ever like loved makes its way into my music. It's just like unconscious or, or subconscious, right. um, which is just kind of like, you know, that could be true. That's also like kind of philosophical, like who knows? But, uh, it's like you mentioned that band, uh, uh, Palo. I remember, I think you, you did a podcast with, um, Dan from create and destroy and a couple couple other guys a while back yeah and you were talking about this band i remember checking them out and then when i when i when i played this i immediately thought of uh that album their blueprints for an empty vessel which i fucking love that album that and, album is amazing and yeah. i have a feeling i'm fine i think i might do another printing of it on cassette now because it, it sold really slow which is fine but i think since then they've picked up some profile but they are not going to be a band again i just know it Sure. Yeah, yeah. But it's just um it's 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 perfectly I mean I I hear the blue light lounge um kind of with the emo emo thing as well. Um that's also a band I would have loved I would love to have discovered them, you know, if they existed before like in in the early 2000s. It would have probably informed right. a lot of a lot of my music because I'm I I remember getting into um Deep Elm and a lot of emo stuff like way before i discovered like codeine or any of these slowcore bands like that was the trajectory that was a trajectory for me yeah exactly exactly and then i went backwards i'm like well what were these bands listening to and then you listen to like the 97 like oh got it what happened with me was like i i and i i have a bad habit of this where i'll like decry an entire like musical phase of my life i, I don't know why but um, like all the emo stuff, I was just canceled. I was like, "Fuck this! I, I don't like any of that stuff." And then I started hearing Codeine and and Red House Painters and and some of these other bands, and it made me return back to the emo emo stuff and be like, oh, "Okay, there's the there's the 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 line between these bands." And a lot of this stuff was like really holds up. In fact, this is like a mood or a t a style of music, an atmosphere that I like often really want to return back to. Um, has staying power yeah going back to the starflyer band it, maybe i read someone that they were punk or something and it technically they were an emo band at one at that point but that's something that was in my so you were talking about in my brain i'm like oh punk punk i'm not a punk i don't like punk stuff and so i got into a band called elliot because of that and they're around this, oh you know, same man kind of thing. i'm like I'm like, they're a space rock band i'm like why was i not listening to this <laughs> exactly when, you know but it's just something I do with my brain sometimes, and it happens. 
Yeah, yeah, Elliot. They were on. They were on a hardcore label. They were on um, what was it? Trustkill, or something. They might have been, but I know they were kind of in that deep elm, you know, that scene. And it's like you think about it, you're like, oh, why did I totally ignore all of this? And that was the whole thing with Starfly early on. I'm like, I just ignored it for some reason. I wish I never did. Yeah, and the, and Elliot has way more in common with the band. So, like, a. a I think a band like Blue Light Lounge than like Mineral, you know? Oh, yeah, totally. And you just didn't... Because that was... Elliot was one of those bands that I listened to like when I was in this self-purported like emo phase or whatever. Just sort of like... I look back at it now and I think it's it's silly that I like... I, I'm <laughs> kind of putting a stink on that era of my of my music listening. Like I try to get out of that line of thinking. But um, yeah, that's, a, that's one of those bands that I returned back to and I was like, Jesus, it's like... Um, what's uh i know they had a couple what's their what's like their big record i forget the name of it it's photo booth or something like that yeah yeah that's the one um and uh the one the one before song in the air um false false cathedrals that's what i'm thinking of right or are you thinking of photo photo recording yeah yeah that that's like a just an insanely good album maybe the only thing that's actually emo about it might be like the the singer or something you know yeah exactly uh photo recording i think was like yeah it was song in the air and false cathedrals those are the two ones yeah but it goes back to it's like those bands like like uh blue tile lounge is definitely like in that same vein where they were kind of spacey and i don't know i loved it i love this this whole record is definitely a mood piece yeah i think i've been saying blue light lounge right it's blue tile lounge yeah yeah it's fine (laughs) <laughs> um anyway to, like back to this track in particular liner like the, the playing on this is is fucking great i love the wall of sound that they create um and those kind of subtle like big ocean like chord changes um i checked out the entire record i think this was kind of the more on the more propulsive kind of side of things like everything else on the record a lot of the stuff on the other on the record was kind of more subdued which i was surprised by yeah, I was going to say, it's a little more subdued, but that's why I picked this one, because I see a lot of that in what's going on now, where it's, like, definitely, it's got subdued stuff, but when they want to go big and push, they are really, it's it's moving. Mm-hmm. So you hear, that, you hear this kind of thing in a lot of newer bands, then? I think so, and I think a lot of post-rock bands probably have a lot of this going on, too, that they don't realize. I'm still not even sure, I can't remember how I even found them. But then I found, you know, in a used bin somewhere, the CDs. Well, that's the problem with a lot of these bands. I mean, I don't know if it's a problem. Like, besides failure, it is super difficult for us to say what is, or even Duster, I would say, is the exception to. It's difficult to say what the influence, what the staying power, how big, like, these guys, any of these bands, like, are today. It's just, it's sort of just, like, in the ether, cryptic, cryptic. like, we don't know. Right. Um, we don't know if anyone's going to be talking about them 20 years from now. I would sure a lot of these bands are surprised that anyone is even talking about it like today. I, I think of what we picked today, I think Duster and Failure will probably be the bands that will get talked about maybe even 20 years from now. Maybe even Harvey Milk. But even now, I think I don't hear too many people bring up Harvey Milk that much. No, Harvey Milk is pretty... Um, uh, they like you. You, you kind of know where you stand with them right off, right off the bat. I think. Yeah. 
we'll, we'll get into that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is there is there anything else with the uh, uh, Blue Tile Lounge that that we want to talk about? This is this their their best record or your favorite? They only have the two records, but I think this is the one I listen to the most. Cool. It took me a while to find the other record, Half Cut. And and you would say of of all the bands, this is the one that kind of has seeped into your music, maybe the most directly. Yeah, sorry. I this is from Half Cut. I meant lowercase. I it was harder to find that. Oh, okay. I would say this one definitely because it's it's got that that big like 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 you said, it's almost like oceans being pushed when it has to, and then when they really do subdo it, it's it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and cool, cool. This is an Australian band. Um, we've just can been pinging between the West Coast and the uh, North. Northeast. And New England, yeah. <laughs> and New England. What the fuck is it about New England and this dreary shit? I don't know. <laughs> it's the cold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess that's, that's a pretty simple answer. All right, uh, so here's a liner from uh, Blue Tile Lounge.
All right, we've uh, reached the end. The, the send-off track here is The Anvil Will Fall by the band Harvey Milk. The album is called Harvey My Love Milk. is Milk. Hi- yeah. My Love is Higher Than Your Assessment of What My Love Could Be. <laughs> this is their debut album from 1994. This is an Athens, Georgia band. All right, we've landed somewhere in the middle of the U.S. That's good. Um, what, what, do you, uh, what do you make of Harvey Milk? Uh, what's your experience with them? Do you dig it? Do you do you hate I, it? I had to do the the Harvey Milk. I'm trying to think. There's a re- maybe it's a live recording I heard, but it's like the DJ the announces him. It's just like Harvey Milk, and I just have that in my head for fucking ever. <laughs> Is um, it a live thing? I, it's a live thing. I, I I went looking for it the other day and I couldn't find it. Maybe it's something I made up in my head. I don't know. I could be wrong. I'll find it. Um, I didn't get into Harvey Milk until. Just before Hydrahead started putting out some of their stuff. So that was like, what, 2007, 2008, around that time? Yeah. Yeah. Best Life, the best game in town. That was yeah, kind of like I listened their... to the fuck out of that record. I love yeah. that record. And Harvey uh, Milk hates that record. Really? <laughs> the, ma- the main guy, yeah. He's talked about how that's their worst record by far. Fuck, I love that record so I know, much. me too. <laughs> me too. Oh, man. Um, what was, there was an special wishes I had before that. Um, I love that record too. Yeah, so I've I've kind of always liked them. F- once I I randomly bought um, fuck what was it? Not special wishes, but courtesy and goodwill towards men. Yeah, the next record. I think, right. Yeah, I think uh, I want to say who who put that on? Relapse did that in two thousand seven. Okay. I bought it just because it was like one of those things. But this is what we were talking about. There was like a resurgence almost for them. They got back together. And there was a lot of talk about them all through that time. But then, like, when they stopped kind of being a band again for a while, it's like, you didn't hear much about them. But yeah. they're, they they were kind of all over the place, too. They have, like, super, like, slow doom stuff. They got, like, ass-kicking rock songs. They have stuff in between. And then yeah. this song, the fucking middle section with the fucking... The string section is just like when it comes on, you're like, "What the fuck?" Do you know what? Do you know what it is? No. It's um. I had to look this up. I didn't know. I didn't know myself. Um, it's Gustav Holtz's "The Planets," which is like a classical orchestral piece about the solar system. Yeah. And it's you, you'll you all you all will hear this, but it's just the singer is just singing over the melody of the orchestra. <laughs> And it goes on for like a minute and a half. Like I feel like it goes on for a bit longer than it probably should have. I think it goes on for aw- awkwardly wrong. I mean, it's to the point where I get uh, you're uncomfortable. Like at some point. Um, when when you picked this song, I realized I didn't actually own this Harvey Milk record. Hmm. I own everything else, so I had to buy it. I ended up buying that the other day too. Oh, damn, I cost you but, some money on this episode, man. <laughs> oh, it's fine. This is what I do all the time, anyways. But yeah. so I, I don't, I didn't remember this track so much. And when that section came on, it reminded me of the movie Step Brothers for a second. At the <laughs> end, at the end, where they're Dale and they're, they're yeah. playing at the Catalina wine mixer, and it's like the class. That's what it reminded me of. And I was like, man, I feel like an, I feel like an asshole now, even saying that here. But it reminded me kind of like. I feel like they did it very, like, seriously. But in my head, I'm like, this is fucking ridiculous. Like, it's, like, laughable. But the song around it is fucking intense and amazing. 
Well, it's, yeah. It, is it a joke? Is it serious? Um, it's is it like a totally ridiculous de- like uh, detour that's just like gone wrong? Like it's not it's not clear at all. Um, I think but it's, then the... I think it's a purposeful joke. I think because they've what I remember of them even their little bit of online presence is very like jokey. So maybe it, this is them throwing some stuff in there to, to be weird. I don't know. I, I think you're right about like what you were saying before, where there was a resurgence in interest in this band. Part of that is Hydra Head. But also, I just remember like mostly metal people talking a lot about how how this is like their favorite band in the world. Like the the guy from Oxbow, Eugene. Um, is const- yeah. Yeah, he's just constantly talking about how his love for this band. I think Aaron Turner from ISIS also, same thing. Like loves this band to death, and then like I think even during like the that late or uh, late two thousands, like when Mastodon and Torch and and Kylesa, like those types of bands were really big. I think is when Harvey Milk's profile like rose up too. Yeah. So they kind of got slotted into that like sludge metal kind of thing as well. Boris as well, even though that's only a part of their sound, you know. It's exactly. It's just part of their sound. I think that's. When they when they put out um, special wishes in two thousand six, I was starting to get into Boris and things like that. So I think exactly what you said. It was just a lot of metalheads talking about them, and that's why I went to them. And I was like, "This is fucking crazy!" Like they they were. There's no other band that sounds like Harvey Milk, at all. No, not at all. And this was this was nineteen ninety four. So exactly. this is their their debut album, and right off the bat, they're like fully realized dialed into their sound i mean i could see someone playing this and hating it um i don't like i because i don't know who this is for i don't i don't think this is for metal people i don't think this is for like indie rock people either it's kind of like think it's I, for every it's for everyone yeah yeah like if you fall if you if your lines are blurred between any of those type sure. of genres this is for you um the only thing maybe was it melvin's influence a little bit on them mm-hmm. i don't know but yeah, it's 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 yeah. Who the fuck is? They were making music for themselves. They were, and they had like a bluesy thing about them too, which is you're not going to get that in any of the other tracks we're playing today. Like, you right? Know, um, these guys definitely like they if they wanted to bust out like a like a hard rocking like beer drinking like ZZ Top kind of thing, like they they could do it, and it almost seems like that's what they're maybe their roots are especially maybe being being southern dudes as well i think their their record the pleaser from 97 was like that yeah that's like that's just a rips your face off from like start start to end kind of record and now that i'm thinking about it you know i didn't like that record when i first heard it and it might be because i was like oh this is fucking old man rock yeah it's like bar rock (laughs) yeah where's the doom slow weird stuff but i think maybe if i revisit that one i might like that one a bit more yeah, it rock it rocks super hard. You just got to be in the mood for it. The early like a good driving record. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. The um these first two records I think have the most kind of like '90s indie rock influence, where like you actually do hear stuff like maybe Slint or like other kind of like even maybe even the folkier kind of stuff like coming out in their in their music. And and I like that they like will do that, and it's like very kind of like delicate like kind of kind of music and then out of nowhere they they launch into those massive like sludgy parts and and at that point like the singer creston like when he's singing 
the slow, like quiet, disar- like disarming parts. Like he sounds kind of deranged, but like it's it's doable. But then when they're doing the sludge parts, like this dude sounds like Barney Rubble or something. He sounds like the drunkest person I've ever heard in my life. Well, I was just about to say, like his vocals kind of remind me of like, all right, give him a bottle of whiskey, get him in there, let him get all of his feelings out. It's like purely emotional and i don't think a lot of people think of harvey milk as an emotional band but the Mm. vocal delivery definitely is there for me it sounds like a sad drunk somewhere just being like i need to get it all out and that's why it definitely like you said it has that 90s quiet to loud it's almost like sad to like yeah it's raw i mean like it's it's miserable like in the in a way that like i think some people it's just too it's too might be too vulnerable for them or something I think that band, the misery, that band is pure misery. You know they live um, it. <laughs> they definitely live it. Because I remember they would be posting like video, like pictures on their early social media of like them being surrounded by fucking liquor bottles and shit in like a shitty apartment or something. I'm like, these yeah. dudes are like fucking miserable. And then uh, one of the members put out a record a few years ago under the name Music Blues. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like a Harvey Milk record, but it's slow, it is sad, and it is miserable. I think that's so, Creston. Yeah. I think that's Creston. The I don't know if that was singer. him. Maybe I could. I, I don't quote me on that. I could definitely be wrong. It was maybe one of the other guitar players. Yeah, it might have been. Is it good? I've never. It's very it. good. Yeah, but it is like you have to be in that mood. It needs to be you know slow, miserable. Yeah, the name of the record is "Things Haven't Gone Well." <laughs> and it, it's uh steven tanner it's tanner from the band oh okay we should get to, we could title title our episode that actually yeah and it's from 2014 i mean the record cover is just like a dirty ass fucking sink with like a pile of cigarettes on it oh man that's... and that's to me when i think of harvey milk i think of just like it's beautiful but it's also like very dark at the same time because it's so raw yeah crazy that they were that this was like 1994 or 1996 that they were doing these albums because there's aside like you're saying aside from the melvins there's really nothing like this and even the melvins is pretty distinct like there's more of like oh i'm into heavy metal i'm into grunge melvins like make a total sense you know right exactly whereas you know harvey milk is i don't know i can't even figure out what their influence is really i mean it's all over the place it's all over the place i think i don't know do they have like drone metal stuff like i'm pretty familiar with most of their catalog but i I see them always like come up when people talk about sun and stuff like that but it's just it's just way different obviously I think it's just they played with a lot of volume and when they got heavy and it was so slow that it just let things ring out. So I think that's yeah. where they got the drone metal thing from. Yeah. And they seem like one of those bands. It's kind of cliche where it's like, I think they're like your bands, your favorite bands, favorite band kind of thing. Yeah. Then like having yes. a, then having a massive fan base themselves, you know? Yeah. Like courtesy and goodwill towards men. That record is to me. I mean, there's a Leonard Cohen cover on it. Um, but it's like, again, whole misery, but yeah, I think their big thing was just slow letting the notes have their space. But when they were doing it, it was like so much volume. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. 
incredible band uh, never put out a dud um i don't know never. if they're i don't know if they're finished or what but um i don't think uh, they ever officially broke up but i don't think they put out a record in probably 10 or 11 years yeah they just seems like they just start they're in their own world <laughs> on their own in their own pace and everything like that like yeah. I just w- want to leave those dudes alone and let let them, let them do what they do, and just hope I hope things get better for you guys. Definitely. All right. Um, anything else on on Harvey Milk? We uh, that's gonna do it for our our eight tracks. Yeah, uh, I'm good on Harvey Milk. Okay. Well, um, we're gonna go out on this track. I usually like just like to let the last track play. Uh, Tom, it's been pleasure talking about 90s music with you like thanks a ton for making the time coming on the show thanks for having me i felt like we could even dug deeper if we wanted we can we always can that's the thing like we could do we could do a part two we could we could get on just talk about emo we could (laughs) this podcast is built for just like impromptu let's talk about like this or that like kind of yeah remind i think it was a swedish or a finnish shoegaze band you got to send that to me I will send that to you. They're amazing. Um, and then I have from you, I have uh, that Harvey Milk side project. What is it? Uh, Music Blues. Music and Blues. And then also, you reminded me, I'm going to go back and listen to the fuck out of Elliot. That's 100% yeah, going to happen. All right. <laughs> um, any parting words on any of the stuff we selected or this rabbit hole? Like any other bands you want to shout out from the 90s? Uh, fuck. No, I'm on the spot now. I'm putting you on the spot. Yeah. Yeah. I'm on the spot right now, so I, I, I'm not going to do anything. Oh, that's all good. I'm very easy to find on social media, so if anybody ever wants to talk about any of this shit with me, it's very easy to get hold of me. Yeah, what's your, uh, what's your Twitter handle? Uh, in memory of Tom. Memory of Tom, T-H-O-M. The stuff that I was going to put on the list but didn't make the cut was like Christy Front Drive. You know that band? I, I know about them a little bit because I remember Magic Bullet put them out, but I never got into it, but... I have a feeling that's one of those bands where I'm like, oh fuck, why did I never listen to them? I would wager you, you'd love it. It's 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 kind of split between like emo and like polvo kind of stuff. Um, really good. Um, and the other band was Lungfish. I'm big. I like Lungfish a lot. I think they're really cool. I'm only now starting to dip my toes in. Yeah, it's weird I, stuff. I've, I've always known about them, and uh, obviously they definitely had a, a big influence on a band like Me Without You. And yeah. Self-Defense Family, which is another one of my favorite bands. Oh, I never put that together. Oh, yeah. my God, do they? Because the little bit I've listened to Longfish, I'm like, holy shit, this is... And they'll, they'll talk about it. They love, you know, Longfish. But it's one of those bands with their discography is so massive. It's like, well, where's the starting point? Mm-hmm. So I just dip my toes in a little bit here and there. Oh, I can definitely hear it in Self-Defense Family, like kind of the cycling the same kind of like circular riffs and just playing it for the whole song that lungfish do that all the time so i think yeah exactly okay well what what is the best place for uh, people to get the planning for burial stuff um um either directly from the flens or playing for burial at Bandcamp. definitely everyone uh, do yourselves a favor uh check out tom's music i'm gonna play you've heard some some of his stuff in the intro so once again it's planning for burial um Find it on Bandcamp, find it on the Flenser, um, pick up physical media and, and support Tom. Um, I think that if you dug a lot of what we played today, uh, you, you're going to dig the material on any of the Playing for Bale records, although it's not like necessarily a through line or anything like that. Yeah. Um, it's just kind of like the the mood, maybe. Um, I would say mood, definitely. 
Yeah, yeah, and I'm, I'm a big fan of all your stuff. I mean, I'm partial to, to Leaving and, and Below the House. Those are my favorites, but um, all of it is great. Uh, once again, thanks so much, Tom. Like, Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, if you like what you're hearing, people, uh, please subscribe. Um, please rate and review the podcast if you have a minute. Share it with fellow music nerds, and we will see you next time for a brand new rabbit hole. Thank you.